0: Church, let's enter into this story. Let's hear this story anew and afresh today from God's Word. We're in the book of Exodus today, Exodus chapter 12, as we continue our study of this portion of the Bible and begin today under a new uh, series title, uh, Remembering God. Uh, Reflecting and remembering who God is and what He has done and how that ought to impact the way that we live our lives, how it ought to impact the way that we conduct ourselves and Uh, what we do with our time and our treasures, our talent, what we do with all that God has entrusted to us. And I want you to know, church, that it is a joy, it's a privilege to open up the Bible with you week after week and read from God's Word and hear His Word and dive into His Word and to be instructed by it and to sit under it. By the way, I I was speaking just a few moments ago to, to Brother Wayne, uh, Brother Wayne Brickner down here. If you don't know Brother Wayne, just side note, you, you need to get to know Brother Wayne. Uh, Brother Wayne has pastored for more than 60 years of his life. He has faithfully pastored churches in multiple states, in Ohio and Michigan and Kentucky and some other places as well. He's not a native Alabamian. He's a transplant here. And uh, from time to time, he and I get together and we talk and in his words we talk about old school versus new school type of stuff and uh, the uh, constancy of God's word and the goodness of the gospel and I'm thankful for his friendship. But we were having a conversation a few moments ago and I turned to him and I, and I, and I said as this place was beginning to fill up, I said, Brother Wayne, what are we going to do to get some of these folks to come on down front a little closer? How, how, what can we do to that end? And he said, you know, he said, I've thought about that many times. Uh, he said, uh, but I think it's a lost cause. Um, apart from you just going and standing in the back and asking everybody to turn around, just let's just be thankful they're here. And so, church, I want you to know, whether you're a member or a guest today, I am thankful that you are here and what a joy and journey it is to look at God's Word together. So let's do just that. Let's look at Exodus chapter 12. And today we come to... Uh, a long-anticipated and awaited portion of this story where God's people uh, walk out of Egypt. Uh, they are let go from Egypt and begin onward toward the promised land that God has promised Abraham and his descendants. So let's look at the text together. As you find your place in Exodus 12, let me invite You to join me standing, whether in body or in spirit, for the reading of God's holy word. Let's hear from his word. Exodus chapter 12, beginning in verse 29. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on the throne, to the firstborn of the prisoner, who was in the dungeon, and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night and there was loud wailing in Egypt for there was not a house without someone dead. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, up, leave my people, you and the Israelites, go worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said and go and also bless me. The Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country, for otherwise, they said, we will all die. So the people took their dough before the yeast was added and carried it on their shoulders in kneading troughs wrapped in clothing. The Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. The Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people, and they gave them what they asked for. So they plundered the Egyptians. The Israelites journeyed from Ramesses to Sukkoth. There were about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. Many other people went up with them and also large droves of livestock, both flocks and herds, with the dough the Israelites had brought from Egypt. They baked loaves of unleavened bread. The dough was without yeast because they had been driven out of Egypt and did not have time to prepare food for themselves. Now, the length of time the Israelite people lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of the 430 years, to the very day, all the Lord's divisions left Egypt. Because the Lord kept vigil that night to bring them out of Egypt, on this night, all the Israelites are to keep vigil to honor the Lord for the generations to come. Would you bow with me? Father, this morning, we, we give you thanks for your word we give you thanks for your faithfulness. We give you thanks for your presence, for the guidance of your spirit. So Lord, guide us now as we seek to understand the truths of your word, to hear from you, to shape our lives around your story. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, you may be seated. <clears throat> I'm curious as we begin, has, has anyone ever worked the night shift? Anybody ever worked the night shift? Quite a few of you at one time or another. David, what was it like working the night shift? A disaster, okay. (laughs) Kevin, what was it like working the night shift? What's that? Hard Hard to sleep during the day. Luke, I know you worked the night shift for a little while. How was working the night shift? hard to find something to eat. Not very favorable impressions so far of working the night shift. Uh, I, I've taken a few visits to the hospital at I've responded to some congregants in crisis during the night, but perhaps the closest I've come to really work in the night shift would be a couple uh, student ministry lock-ins years ago. Uh, and I'm increasingly of the persuasion uh, that One of our former staff members, James Colberth, was right that lock-ins are of the devil. Uh, They're fun for a little while, but not worth it. Well, church, in today's text, God works the night shift. Did you catch that? He stays up. He stays on alert, carrying out judgment and salvation according to his plan. you got to love this in verse 42. It says, the Lord kept vigil that night to bring them Out of Egypt. God kept vigil. He stayed up. It's almost as if the text is saying that God paid extra attention that night. That he didn't let anything slip by unnoticed. That he watched closely and that he worked diligently all night long on behalf of his people. Did you know church that this is what the Lord does every night? He is our night watchman who never slumbers and who never sleeps. He is always awake. He is always aware. He is always watching and working according to his promises on behalf of his people. And his people are those who trust him. Are you one of his people? His people are those who trust him. And God delivers those who trust him. That's what our text communicates to us this morning in the context of God's Word. We want to take in this text in light of the full story, in light of the Gospel, and God delivers those who trust Him time and time again. The Word of God, the Bible, distinguishes between those who trust in the Lord and those who do not. And I've got to think that in the 400 years of waiting, you catch that in verse 40, 430 years in Egypt. In the more than 400 years of waiting... There were some, there had to be some, I imagine, who lost faith. Some who stopped trusting. Some who quit believing. I wonder, have you ever lost faith? Have you ever wondered what God was up to? Have you ever struggled to reconcile the promises of God with the real life, everyday trials and tragedies of sickness and slavery, of addiction and poverty? Things like... Child abuse and chronic depression, death of loved ones. I love what Mark Genolette said Wednesday night in the final session of our Wednesday night Ruth Bible study. He said this, something to this effect. He said, I often tell my students, he said, Grown-up Christianity is a relentless holding on to the promises of God even when they don't seem to be true. Holding on to the, the promises of God, the Word of God, the faithful. Holding on, clinging to the promises of God, even when life doesn't seem to line up with it. But even church, even then, church, they are true because He is true. God is faithful through the fire and the flood and the waiting and the silence. God is true and He is faithful. He is working for our good and He's working for His glory. And in our story for today, finally, God comes and rescues His enslaved people. He calls for a generation of Israelites to trust Him and to follow Him out of Egypt. God delivers those who trust Him. But those who do not trust Him will face His judgment. The Bible is clear. See, the book of Exodus is about God rescuing His people according to His promise. But it's also a reminder that you and I don't want to face His judgment Pharaoh and the Egyptians face his judgment. You don't want to face his judgment. Judgment awaits those who do not trust in the blood of the Lamb. Awaits those that do not trust in the blood of the Lamb. Last week we read the instructions for Passover. See, the Passover was about trusting God's Word. In sacrificing a substitute, a year-old lamb without defect that would spill its blood in the place of sinners in each home. And for those who didn't comply, judgment came that night. That's where our text begins today. From the king who sat on the throne, considered a god in the land, to the prisoner in the dungeon, judgment came, striking down every firstborn son, causing loud wailing throughout the land. Hear what pastor and scholar Philip Ryken says about this text. He says what Pharaoh suffered was only a premonition of the end of the world. When every human being who has ever lived will stand before God for judgment. He says we will all be there. The high and the low, the rich and the poor, the sinners and the saints. No one will be granted exemption. No one will receive any special treatment. The rich may travel first class all their lives. But when they get to the final judgment, God will not examine their bank accounts, nor will the poor have something coming to them simply because their lives were more difficult. God is no respecter of persons, and he will judge everyone by the same standard. He does not care what color we are, how much money we have, where we go to school, what company we work for, or even how good we are. What matters to God is whether or not we have faith in the sacrifice of his son. The son who is our Passover lamb. See, the truth is that we are all sinners. None of us are without sin. So we stand condemned. Paul says, as it is written, as it is written in the Psalms, there's no one righteous. Not even one. You see, the message of the Psalms and the message of Paul is that no one is right with God because we have all sinned and rejected Him. Every time we choose sin, every time that we choose to lust or choose bitterness or hatred or laziness or dishonesty or greed or stealing or disobeying authorities, we are saying in that moment, God, I know what you say, but in this moment, what I want is better to me than what you say. And that's sin. It's wrong. It offends God. Perhaps in our pride we react against this because we want to think that we're not really that bad, right? But if you want evidence of the depth of your own sin, consider how often you have knowingly chosen sin over obedience. How often, guys, have you known that click was immoral or that thought was lustful and yet you entertained it anyway. How often ladies have you known that remark was unkind, that it was intended to belittle and yet you spoke it anyway? Ever done that? Or how often students have you have you knowingly disrespected or disobeyed your parents because you simply thought you could get away with it? Or mentioned tongue in cheek, the Analogy last week of the child reaching in the candy jar when no one is looking. A cookie jar, candy jar, I don't know, whatever you prefer. Give you another example from the Adventures of the Jones household this morning. After uh, You guys are going to wish you could eat breakfast at our house. Uh, I guess in a moment of weakness this morning, feeling bad about the, the cumin toast last week, my daughter asked me, Daddy, can we have, can I, can we have some chocolate donuts for breakfast? Because she had seen we have a little box of those, you know, small little chocolate donuts. And I said, sure, why not? Gave her a couple donuts. Well, what does that mean? It means the others get the same thing, right? And so the boys were up and I gave each of them a, a little bowl with two donuts in it and some milk and sat my youngest down to eat. Gave him his food, a two-year-old, and stepped out of the room, came back a little while later and... Knowing that my other child has not been to the breakfast table yet, I I see that one bowl is empty and there's a donut missing in the other bowl and it's halfway gone in two-year-old's mouth. Even my two-year-old knows. There's no doubt in my mind. He knows. Would love to see the look on his face. He looked over and looked around and saw that nobody was watching and made his move. We push boundaries, don't we? We cross lines, even when we know better. There's no one righteous, Paul says. No, not even one. So we deserve judgment, all of us. The Bible communicates that judgment awaits those who do not trust in the blood of the Lamb. But the story of the Exodus and the story of the cross is this, that through the Lamb, the judgment that we deserve is averted it is received by a substitute, a sacrificial lamb who stands in our place. Passover lambs that spilled blood in the place of sinners year after year after year, but never really taking away sins, never permanently covering sins until one day. Until one day when the, the true Passover lamb showed up in Galilee in the flesh The fullness of God and human flesh, tempted and tried just as we are, and yet he never sinned. John saw this Jesus coming toward him one day, and he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And friends, that's what he did. That's what Jesus, our Passover lamb, did. He gave his life in our place. And so now, as God did with the temporary and substitutionary lambs that were slaughtered year after year after year at twilight on the 14th day of Israel's most important month, so now God sees the blood of our substitute and he spares us. God sees the blood of our substitute and he spares us. The Lord had said to Moses and Aaron, back to Exodus 12, verse 13, a verse we read last week, Lord said to Moses and Aaron, the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. God accepted the blood of the sacrifice and he passed over their sin. And so now for those who put their trust in Jesus, our substitute, God looks on us and he sees Christ's blood on us and he passes over our sin. He forgives us because the blood of Jesus was shed for us. Friends, that's the gospel. The Bible is a complicated book. But it's a consistent book. A book in which God's character is on display that we might know Him. That we might know without a doubt that we have fallen short. But that even so, in his mercy, in his grace, in his kindness and patience with us, he is perfectly provided so that our relationship might be restored with him by grace through faith. Paul states it this way in Colossians chapter 2. He says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. In other words, when you were not right with me when you were not one of my people, when you were deserving of judgment, when you stood apart from me, when you were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, God has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. This is good news. Brothers and sisters, no longer can the devil accuse us. No longer do we stand condemned before God because of our sin. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For God looks upon us and He sees Christ's righteousness, his, His right standing, His moral standing before God as our own. This is what He sees. And thus, for those who trust Him, God's mercy triumphs over judgment. God delivers those who trust Him. Do you trust Him? Do you trust Him? You see, trusting God is believing Him enough to do what He says. Consider for a moment when you learn to ride a bike without training wheels or learn to swim. There's either got to be a great amount of courage involved in Taking on that endeavor, that new experience, or you've got to really trust your teacher. Trust them enough to do what they say, even when it's difficult, even when it's scary, even when it's uncomfortable, even when it's not what you want to do. I'm called to trust the Lord enough to actually do what he says. When God invites us to trust him, he wants more than lip service. Friends, he wants more than external religious practice. He wants more than church. So to speak, on Sunday morning, he wants all of us. God wants unconditional surrender from us. This is what he calls for. Finally, in our story, Pharaoh surrenders. Finally, he gives in. Finally, Pharaoh says enough is enough. Not only does Pharaoh allow the Israelites to go, he demands they go, doesn't he? Verse 31, up. Get out of here. Leave. Leave. Go worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said and go. In other words things that he has not allowed up to this point he he is ready to concede to. Take your stuff and get out of here. Are you Dr. Seuss fans? This is the narrator's exasperated demand for Marvin K. Mooney to leave the room. Parents ever remember that story? Marvin K. Mooney will you please go now? story of We don't really have I don't know the backdrop of that story. It's the fun children's story. Marvin K. Mooney, I don't care how. Marvin K. Mooney, will you please go now? I said go, and go, I meant. The time had come. Finally. The book ends. So Marvin went. God says here the time has come. My time has come. Just like he says through Paul in Galatians chapter four. But when the set time had fully come, the set time had come. And Pharaoh says, you can go and take all that belongs to you. Take your stuff. This is like your grandparents after you've kept your grandkids for a few days and you're exhausted and ready for them to go home. And I know what you're thinking. You're no grandparent. I'm not a grandparent, but I've, I've talked with some of you about this. You're thinking, take your junk and get out of here. I love you. I want to see you again, but take your stuff and go. And Pharaoh says, take your junk and get out of here. And then he says to Moses, and bless me as you go. You see, finally Pharaoh surrenders and he permits God's people to go free and to worship the Lord, but only insofar as he believes it benefits himself to do so. In other words, he's not really interested in the Lord being praised. He's not really interested in submission to Yahweh for as soon as This plague subsides. What does he do? The king of Egypt changes his mind and he sends his troops and he chases after the Israelites. He runs after them and attempts to destroy them. Friend, do not follow the path of pride blazed by the king of Egypt. Do not resist the will of God. Turn away from sin and self and trust in the one who saves. Surrender unconditionally to this one who said, this Lord who said, whoever wants to be my disciple, must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Are you denying self and following the Savior? Can you join with Paul, the apostle, in saying, I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live. Life is not about me anymore. I've laid it down at the feet of Jesus. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, surrender may seem like loss. It goes against every competitive streak in us. Boys fight, right? I'm sure girls do too. Boys fight until someone is hurt. But surrender to Christ is not loss. It is gain. Because Christ, our Savior, is also Christ, our victor, who gives gifts to His children see, this one faithfully provides for us. God faithfully provides for us. We see this throughout the Bible. We see it in this story. He is a provider. Just as God had promised, He granted the Hebrews favor in the eyes of the Egyptians. See, they not only let them go, but they gave them silver and gold and clothing on their way out the door. Take what you want. Just get out of here. This was God's doing. This was in accordance with God's plan. This was His provision for his people the Lord kept vigil that night to bring them out of Egypt watching and waiting to be sure this whole thing unfolded just the way that he had planned it God's promises always come true the psalmist says for the word of the Lord is right and true he is faithful in all he does. In other words, build your life on the Word of God. Because it is always right. It is always true. And it is so because He is a faithful God. Let God's faithfulness here in this story soak in just a bit. Consider all the promises that God has already made recorded here in Exodus that are now at this point in the story coming true. Chapter 3, verse 8, God had promised to rescue his people. Chapter 3, verse 20, God had promised that Pharaoh would not let them go until he had seen mighty signs and marvelous wonders among them. He had promised that the Israelites would leave with silver and gold and clothing. Chapter 3, verse 21, God had promised that his people would know that he is God. Chapter 6, verse 6, and that the Egyptians would also know that he is the Lord. Chapter 7, verse 5. God had promised that they would leave in haste, that they would eat bread without yeast, for there was no time to wait on bread to rise. It was time to go. God had promised to deliver, and now He has delivered, just as He said He would. Friends, God is always faithful to His Word. He is always watching and working to fulfill His good and perfect plan. He is our night watchman who even now is fulfilling His promises to take the gospel of Jesus to the ends of the earth so that sinners may turn and trust in Him. God delivers those who trust Him. And those who have been delivered ought to then celebrate His deliverance. And so God calls His people to remember and celebrate His deliverance. He calls us as his people, as those who've been delivered, rescued, saved by his grace. He calls us to remember and celebrate his deliverance, to remember and celebrate what he has done. As mentioned earlier, in just a few weeks, in three weeks, we'll have a vision Sunday where we'll look ahead. Chart some direction, cast vision. Consider perhaps where the Lord may be leading us and how he is leading us to live here In our community and beyond. But a big part of that day will be and must be celebrating what God has already done. Remembering what He has done for us. Celebrating His faithfulness to us. Verse 42, because the Lord kept vigil that night to bring them out of Egypt. On this night all the Israelites are to keep vigil to honor the Lord for the generations to come. In other words, remember what He has done. Verse 43, then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, these are the regulations for the Passover meal. And then he begins to give instructions for who may participate and how the Passover was to be eaten. It was for faithful Israelites and for those who joined them in worshiping the living God. Verse 47, the whole community of Israel must celebrate it. Remember and celebrate. And so they did. They obeyed, demonstrating their faith in the Lord a celebration meant to help God's people remember what He had done for them. You see, when you see an image of the Twin Towers in New York City, you remember the lives that were lost when our country came under attack on 9-11-2001. And you see a picture or image of a military person in uniform, you remember the veterans, the servants, past and present, who put their lives on the line for us. And when the Israelites slaughtered their Passover lambs at Passover, they saw the blood of the lamb and they remembered they remembered that the Lord had spared them that night of judgment in Egypt and that He had delivered them from bondage. And likewise, church, when we see the cross, when we see the cross, we remember the blood of our Passover lamb and celebrate that God has spared us His judgment and that He has delivered us from the bondage of sin. Paul said, Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. This is my gospel. Is it yours? Friend, has God delivered you? Have you been delivered? Have you been rescued? Has the blood of the perfect Lamb covered your sin because you received His provision through repentance and faith? God promises to deliver those who trust Him. Have you trusted Him? Has God delivered you? If the Word of God is true, and it is, then God promises to deliver those who trust in Him. He desires to deliver you today. You can be delivered and restored today. Call on Him to deliver you now to save you, to forgive you, to restore you, to apply the blood of Jesus Christ to your account. God delivers those who trust him. And then those who trust him, those who've been delivered, celebrate what he has done for them. They remember. So church, are you celebrating what God has done for you? How do you celebrate what God has done for you? How do you celebrate what God has done for you? How can you celebrate what God has done for you? How should you and I celebrate what God has done for us? What action steps can we take? What practices can we establish? What should we do? Let's celebrate what God has done for us. Perhaps this comes through beginning every day with time with the Lord, thanking Him for another day and thanking Him for redemption through Jesus Christ, perhaps you celebrate by singing songs of praise and thanksgiving. Perhaps you celebrate by journaling prayers and giving those to the Lord. Perhaps you celebrate by gathering often, every time you get a chance, with people of faith, that you might remember and hear and respond to the truth of the gospel. How do you celebrate? Church, may we be a people who celebrate what God has done for us. Father, help us to do so. Help us by the presence and the power of your spirit to remember who you are and what you have done. or to lay our lives before you and celebrate salvation in Jesus, our true Passover lamb. Father, we thank you for the story that we've read. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for life and salvation in Jesus. Lord, may we walk in step with your word. Lord, may these truths, may the gospel be on our heart and on our mind throughout this day and throughout this week for the glory of Jesus. Lord, lead us to apply the truths of your word, that we might celebrate who you are and what you have done for us. It's in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen.